honest with you. I love Romans 8. There's no condemnation now in Christ Jesus. Um, you know, because he set us free. And, and, and there's no separation at the end of it. Man, it's easy to get pumped up. But now we, we come to a section, to be quite honest with you, it's easy for a preacher to say, oh, you know, maybe we'll skip over a few chapters. Because this is tough teaching. As it talks about God and how he is in complete control. And, you know, we, we deal with issues that are just hard to grasp and understand. And it made me think of um, uh, hearing Adrian Rogers speak one time. And he talked about the preacher who was his predecessor and, and how he admired him so. And, and he went up to introduce himself to him the first time he met him and said, it is just such an honor to follow you. He said, I, I'm so humbled because you are such a, uh, God has given you such a great intellect. And I don't know how in the world um, I can do this following you. And he looked at him and he got this smirk on his face and he said, Adrian, he said, you're absolutely right. That would be like trying to stuff a grand piano in a teeny tiny closet. And, and guys, when it comes to trying to figure God out in his vastness, in his greatness, little me, it's not even a teeny closet. I feel like a crack in a wall. But I want to take a, an effort as we go through Romans to be true to the scriptures, to get a picture of God and his sovereignty. And it's going to we're going to look at chapter nine today, but in the 10 and 11 in the coming week, next couple of weeks. But I just want to read the first six verses. Um, and then, of course, we'll go through the rest of the chapter looking at his sovereignty. So I ask you to stand in God's honor as I read aloud. Romans nine. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Those of my own race. The people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory. The covenants. The receiving of the law. The temple worship promises theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of christ who is god over all forever praised amen it is not as though god's word had failed for not all who are descended from israel are israel let's pray master thank you that we can meet once again lord that you have brought us to this place to gather, Lord. Master, our worship of you is... Father, it's only as deep as you allow us to wade. Open our hearts. Open our minds. And as we continue to follow you, Lord. We've sung to you. We've given unto you. We've shared to you, Lord. And we pray that this is a continuation unto you. For, Lord, you are the audience. And whatever we have, we give to you. Guide us in this time, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Up until this time, Paul is speaking um, about salvation. He's speaking about 
that it's, it's all of, of God and, and His work and Christ on the cross. And, and then he moves from there and he talks about sanctification or what it means to grow in that awesome truth that we are saved and we are not condemned and that He loves us and nothing can separate us. And, and, and he, you know, there's this great and, and incredible teaching of, of salvation and, and sanctification. And, and now we come to His sovereignty. A difficult truth, but a precious truth that we need to be reminded of the fact that we are not the ones who are in control. We are not the ones who know the big picture, but it is God. And as as Paul opens up um, this great truth, I, I thought about the fact our worship is dependent upon who we worship. And for our worship to have have the fullness of heart, we need to understand who it is. Uh, A.W. Tozer said that the missing jewel of the church today is worship. And I want to read to you, this is an excerpt from one of his books entitled The Knowledge of the Holy. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted it for one so low, so ignoble as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. This she has not done deliberately, but little by little and without her knowledge. And her very awareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. With our sense of the loss of majesty comes the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We've lost our spirit of worship and our longing to meet inwardly with God in inward silence. As, as we come to this section of Scripture and, and, and God has talked about how we receive salvation. He's talked about how we grow close to Him in sanctification. Now, Paul turns us around and he says, instead of the focus upon us and what we need to receive and what we need to know, we turn to God. He is the focus. He is, he is, he is the heartbeat. He is the, the, our attention is to be gazed upon Him. He's the one that we look at. That's the missing jewel. It's to look at God. Psalm 115 verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. That's our God. As we looked in Romans 5, verse 12, we, we read about death. and, and it, 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 This is verse 12 of Romans 5. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. This is not talking about how good we are. It's not talking about our performance. It's talking about God who's above us, who's worthy of worship. And we're not born right with God. We're born wrong with God, guys. We're not born interested in God. We're born disinterested in God. We, we were born running from God. And if it were not for His irresistible grace, we would never be drawn to God. You see, everything that we have, everything that we enjoy, all the blessings, it comes from God. He's the source of it all. He's the beginning and He's the end of it all. And so as Paul shares, he, he up to this point, he's been thinking about the marvelous salvation that has been given unto us. But in the midst of that, he takes a break and he thinks about where he grew up. He thinks about his community. He thinks about his neighbors. He, he thinks about what it means to, to be a Jew. Um, it's his past identity, his, his, his memories. And, and notice what he says in his heart here. 
I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. And he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Those of my own race, the people of Israel. In other words, as Paul is talking about this great salvation and what it means to walk the living God, he's thinking about the people he loves who aren't. The people he loves whose hearts are closed to the marvelous gospel. The saving message of God in Jesus Christ. And you know, I'm going to veer off just for a second because uh, Paul is not the only one who's ever had a burden for someone missing who Jesus is. Life can only be understood and fulfillment found in a walk with Jesus Christ. Paul had a burden for that. He was thinking of some good teachers. He was thinking of good family members. He was thinking of people that loved him and impacted his life. But they were without Christ. They were without the hope of glory. They were without that mystery that makes it all come together in Jesus And he was burdened, man. He was broken. We all have some of those people, don't we? Hurts. It just can pull you down. Just drain the life out of you. Um, I I told you this, but for years, my sister has been really close to the gospel. And I used to kid and say, especially a few years ago, she had worshipped that great goddess Oprah Winfrey. You know, she loved to watch Oprah Winfrey in the afternoons. And uh, But we've always been really close. And I learned a long time ago, I just had to back off, you know. I could, I had to find little moments to say something because she just wasn't open. And in this past year, she, you know, I talked to her and she said, I want to start reading through the Bible. You don't know what a miracle that is, guys. You know, I'm thinking, wow. And so I was just so excited. And so, you know, I'm trying, well, how much can I say? I'm trying to talk around a little bit. And a long time ago, you know, started praying. We started praying well, since, you know, I'm not the one to talk, Father, bring somebody into her life who loves you. And so her best friend is a is a Christian who walks with the Lord, that loves the Lord. And boy, she's getting it, you know, and, and God's working. And so I just asked her, I said, well, you know, um, she says, I'm looking for a Bible. I said, well, why didn't you ask your friend, you know, uh, you know, advice on what Bible to choose? And said, well, I thought about it, but I didn't want to hear about an hour long sermon. And and so, you know, I was able to say, well, you know, I said, well, tell me what you've done so, so far. I said, well, I found a Bible and, I, you know, I read about one chapter and, you know, couldn't understand what was going on. And so anyway, I had an opportunity to talk to her about, you know, I said, well, maybe you ought to start in the New Testament. And, you know, here's some other translations to consider. You know, anyway, we had this talk, but, it, you know, it was just so awesome to get maybe just a glimpse of hope. That this one that's 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 far away might come close, might come to the Lord. And the truth of the matter is, no matter how great my burden, no matter how deep my heart is, for her to come to Christ, it's got to be God at work. It's not about what I say. It's not about what I do. It's about God opening her life, opening her heart, um, doing a, a masterful work. That's God. Matter of fact, look here what he says about the Jews. He said, man, they are blessed. He says, they're the people of Israel. He says, theirs is the adoption of sons. Um, 
the adoption is, is not as we think of it as coming into God's family one at a time. But the adoption was as a nation, as a holy people, as a chosen nation set aside for God. Listen, to, this is Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. <laughs> then he says, then there was the divine glory. He says next, and this divine glory means that God revealed himself through angels and, 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 and revealed himself in dynamic ways to the Jewish race, to those people. That story in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant is woven to the Jewish race. And then he goes on, he talks about the divine covenant. And of course, you can't think, help but think of Abraham. You know, God told him to leave a place he had always known, to go a place he had never been directed by God. He could not see. <laughs> and in the midst of that, going to that place, he said this in Genesis 12, 2 to him, I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you and I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. <laughs> That's what, what God revealed. And, and, and then he revealed to him the law. That law that w was given to Moses, you know, on top of the mountain and, and, and those Ten Commandments and, and the law that was passed down that, that reminded us of how holy God is and how we're not. As we look at the law and how we miss the mark of the law and, and how it brings us to the need of a Savior. And, and then he talks about how they were the recipients of the temple and, and the first uh, true understanding of, of worship, meaningful worship. It, that came through the Jews. And, and, the, and then he goes on and he says... Um, and the promises, all those promises, and then the patriarchs say, hey, the founding fathers, that foundation, it's, it comes through the, uh, the ancestry of the Jewish race. And he said, man, they were blessed to ever be praised, and yet they can't see the truth. They, they don't see the Messiah. They don't see that the promised one has come. Now, as we veer into that, we come into predestination. I just want to look at four truths in the remaining part of the chapter as we look at how God is in complete control, His sovereignty. First, in verses 7 through 13, predestination begins with the sovereign choice of God. Look at 7 through 13 as we see God's sovereign choice. He says, Nor because they are His descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac and your offspring that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who regard as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I'll return and Sarah will have a son. In other words, he's saying the promise was not fulfilled by being born into a specific country, a specific nation, a specific family, a specific group. But it was coming through God. It came through a specific family, not through a nation. It's not that you were, you know, you were born into a family that went to Kingsway Baptist Church. They were members of Kingsway Baptist Church, and therefore you're part of Kingsway Baptist Church and part of the glory of God. It doesn't work like that. It, it comes as God works, as God grabs a heart one at a time, as he spoke to this specific family, as he worked through this specific family. And then he goes on and, and he describes further on. He says, not only that, but Rebecca, Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac, yet before the twins were born, who had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose and election might stand. 
And notice what he says about that election standing, God's choice. He says, not by works, but by him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger, just as it's written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. So the point here, he says, it's not by works, it's not by human performance, but it's by him who calls. It's by the call of God. It's by hearing the call of God. The family tree does not guarantee family relation. As far as kingdom of God goes. You see this was not about man's perspiration. This was not about man's inspiration. This was about God's invitation. That's the truth that was passed on. It's so hard to understand all this. At one time they asked D.L. Moody. An evangelist of another age. They said how, how do you recognize the chosen? And Moody said they're the ones who choose. Yeah, we can't spot, we can't see, we don't know how God's going to work. Only that He is a God who chooses to work in our hearts. Next, predestination upholds the perfect character of God. In verses 14 through 18, we just see how God, He's all-powerful, He's eternal, He's all-knowing. He's everywhere, He's love, He's wrath, He's mercy, He's justice, He's grace. He's wise and infinite, holy, faithful, immutable. And that's not all, guys. (laughs) He's God. Notice our text. What shall we say then? Is God unjust? He's a just God, isn't he? Not at all. He, he says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I have compassion on whom I have compassion. He, he's God. I'm not. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort. It's God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Hey, God upholds his perfect character. Uh, Next, predestination identifies the specific responsibility of God. Look in uh, verses 19 through 23. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who resists his will? Um, We'll stop there a second here. It, basically, as we look at this God being in charge, eventually someone comes to the argument of saying, well, if God's fully in charge, then he's responsible for my sin. But that is not God's responsibility. He is God, and he is, in a way that we can't fully grasp, he doesn't micromanage us, but he has given us a capacity to follow and love him and know him, but he doesn't force that upon us. For true love is something that does require a choice. It is something that does require one to submit his own will, her own will to him. It, it, it's a decision that we must make. And, and there's consequences for, for those decisions. And of course the decision is, is he my savior? Is he my Lord? And, and we're the ones that have to ultimately come to those choices. As God works, there are some things that you know we can't choose. If you're dying, you can't choose to live. We're all headed toward death and and a critical disease takes its toll. If you're slow and uncoordinated, don't expect to be the next great athlete making big bucks. Um, there are limitations there. If you get depressed and jump from a skyscraper, don't change your mind midair. You know, uh, there there are decisions. Uh, God, he he chooses. He he chooses those he chooses. He is sovereign, and and by his grace he works in us, and and he's working to shape his glory. People get hung up on. God's got to meet my agenda, but no, we're called to meet His agenda. Notice as he he goes on in the text here, he says, "Who are you, O man, to talk back to God? 
Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? Why why'd you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? He's the potter. He has the right to shape the pot. You might say, well, I want to be a vase. But if he made you a pot, you're pot. And and he's God. He's the one who calls those shots. It's it's not up to us. And then one last one here as I march down through here. Predestination um, confines the consistent plan of God. His consistent plan. Um, Look in verse 24. He says, even us whom he called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Obviously, many who are in the faith are not of Jewish descent. Many who are in the faith did not come out of Jewish blood and a Jewish heritage. And yet God worked. In um, John fifteen sixteen, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Lasting fruit. That's, that's God's plan. That's how he works. You know, we can ask, why does he love us? Just be thankful, okay? Just be grateful he's chosen to love us. You know, if, if we get into this thing and we have to understand it to believe it, there's not a whole lot we'll believe. Um, but just so grateful that he's chosen to love us. A couple of extremes that happen in this idea of God in complete control of my choices. First extreme is, I'll do it all by myself. Um, you know, I'm that idea of I'm a self-made man. And I love that. I was trying to find... Who said this quote? I never could verify it all, but the basis of the quote, I'd heard Abraham Lincoln, but I couldn't find any verification for that. The basis of the quote was one guy came up to this other man and said, I'm a self-made man. And the response was, I'm sure glad to hear that. That relieves God of a lot of responsibility. (laughs) And the, the fact of the matter is, God's not impressed with our achievements. Um, that doesn't in any way, God doesn't go, oh my, I had no idea you'd done that, Todd. Isn't that just amazing? Uh, in the final analysis, he's not so interested in my plans as he's interested in me trusting his plan. The plan that was ultimately accomplished. God does it all is the second extreme. Well, I'll just sit back and wait on Jesus and I'll let God handle everything else. You know, this idea of I just sit and God works. And, uh, you know, who dressed you today? If you say God, they might put you in a padded room. You know, I take into effect that you that you did that. Uh, you know, there are certain things that we do and, you know, we have to do in order to function. And this idea we just submit to God and he just, you know, like a genie does it all. Um, you know, you might say, well, uh, you know, um, I'm predestined to not have a job. And I'll say, well, but I'm not predestined to support you. Or, you know, you, you know, the, the idea here is of, of, of um, you know, there are choices that we make and things that we have to do. 
And I've known people that argue back and forth over God's control and our choice. And, and you know, we can't totally understand or figure that out. Sometimes God uses a worse situation to deal with a bad situation. As we look in the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, the prophet is, is hearing from God and, and it's just a bad situation. He says, God, it's a bad situation. And God says, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to bring forth my spiritual discipline, my judgment through the Chaldeans. And the prophet goes, what? They're a wicked, terrible people who don't love you, who don't care about you, and they deserve punishment. That doesn't make any sense. And God said, well, that's what I'm going to do. Really? So trying to figure out God or fully understand his ways, sometimes it just doesn't make sense to us because we don't see the big picture. But just know, thankfully, that he's at work and he's a God that loves us and what he does, even though we don't get it. So I say all that uh, as I close here. What we need to do is just rest and relax when we can in God that he's working. If we're believers. If you're not a believer, I hope you don't get any rest at all. Until you decide to trust him and, and turn to him. Because that's the only place where there is lasting rest. Rest that you can count on. And he doesn't want us to put that off. You know, well, let me just think about it. I mean, what's there to think about? No one loves you like God. No one knows the full picture except God. And the Bible makes it clear <laughs> that he works for good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So, hey, the way I look at it is, who's the chosen? Well, if you choose, we'll know you're one of them. <laughs> so we come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for an opportunity, Lord. To look at this section of scripture that you are the one who calls the shots. It's not me or any of us. It's you. And Lord, for whatever reason, when the call to salvation went out, my ears heard. And my heart was moved. And I was able to respond. And that God even comes from you. And Father, for all of us who are part of your family, that's that's the truth. And I, Father, I pray for one that maybe hasn't yet come to that. May this be the time, may this be the day to choose and to find I'm chosen. And Father, I just pray that you do that work in the time that we stand, the time that we sing. May we come to the altar and pray if you call us or to make a decision before your people. If you call us, the bottom line is, Lord, may we hear your call and may we say yes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Stand.